Hi, and welcome back to Nathan's MC782 podcast. Wow, that's name is a mouthful. I should have come up with a better one uh, last time, but here we are. This is podcast two for week seven, uh, specifically on chapter four of the um, Principles of Strategic Communications textbook. So, the uh, query for this week asked to answer asked us to answer three or more of the following questions, and so I chose specifically to choose a current event and do a macro analysis of the different factors that might have influenced the situation. I also chose to identify an organization or institution with which I'm familiar and identify the kind or kinds of structure it uses, and then. Finally, I chose to analyze a favorite brand at the hand of reputational factors. Um, So what do I admire most about it and where can it be improved? Starting with the current event, let's talk a little bit about Dave Chappelle. Um, If you didn't know, Dave Chappelle has come under fire lately uh, after his latest Netflix special was released in which he said some unsavory things about the trans community. Um... And so that has caused quite a bit of backlash, a lot of people wanting Netflix to take down the special. Um, Dave Chappelle has been, whether you like the term or not, canceled. Um, As an aside, I don't really know that cancel culture is real. I'm sure he'll be back doing his stuff real soon. Um, But let's take a look at the different sectors that influence the situation. Um, I kind of identified three major Um, impacts and three minor impacts. So uh, the first major impact is the social sector. This was the biggest sector, in my opinion, um, because at the heart of the problem is that the things he said were an insult to the lived experiences of many people and contrary to the general direction of public opinion. Um, Specifically, the book talks a lot about psychographics Um, and public opinion. And I think that the jokes, quote unquote, that Dave Chappelle was making or the uh, the opinions that he expressed specifically were uh, or specifically ran contrary to some of the psychographics of the uh, intended audience or not even necessarily the intended audience, but just the audience at large. Um, The textbook kind of mentions that sometimes the culture sector rides along with the social sector, and I think that that is right on here. I think the culture sector is um, had, had a major role to play here too because, uh, once again, this kind of exclusionary attitude towards the trans community um, and being, being ostracized because of it is a uh, reflects a shift in our culture towards not being accepting of people who say and do offensive things. Um, And I think that that's a shift that's happened over the last couple of years. Um, But I think that there's an important distinction here between the culture sector and the social sector. The cultural sector... um, The culture sector is different, I think, because... um, Basically, instead of it just being about the psychographics of the audience, it, rev- it reflects a change in the overarching culture 
of our of our nation and um really of the world especially um the online world um and that is that up until very recently people could get away with uh overtly offensive quote unquote jokes um but not not so much anymore um and then the third major sector that i identified is the media sector um and i think that this is a major sector because this event largely happened in the media. Netflix is ultimately a media company. And then a lot of the backlash happened on social and in the news media and coverage of that fallout also played out in the news media. So this entire situation from offensive thing is said to we're angry about offensive thing to eventually maybe Dave Chappelle apologizes will all play out in the social and news media. And I think that's an important lens through which to view this issue. I also think that um, there's three kind of minor sectors, and that is the legal, economic, and technology sectors, because this, uh, this current event has deals with speech issues, but it also de- deals with a major, major technology company in the United States, Uh, a technology company that has a huge effect on the economy and a technology company that has a huge effect on where we're going technologically as a nation. Moving on to the second question, identify an organization or institution that I'm familiar with and identify the kind or kind of structures it uh, uses. Describe the structural attributes you have identified. I chose uh, Zenernet as my organization. Um, You're probably not familiar with it. It is a small solar uh, company uh, based in the United States. We service, uh, I'm an intern there, and we service, I want to say, 20-some states, including Kansas. Um, Basically, the business model is get people to... um, agree to go, go solar, and then we handle the um, subcontracting, we handle all of the permitting, all of that kind of stuff, all of the design, um, everything, and, and then we handle the uh, customer through the life of their system. So if they decide uh, five years down the line that they want new panels, or they decide they want a battery, or they want to add an EV charger, um, they come back to us. That's... Um, and then we work through our local contractors and our local suppliers to provide them with the best technology that we can. Um, and so to look at the the kind of overarching structure of the company, first, I mentioned that it's small. Our, com, our comms department specifically is only two people. Um, it used to be three, and then the other intern got a full-time job when she graduated and um, and moved on, and it's just been the two of us. Um, but as a comms department, we utilize an organizational structure. We work from home and we have different skill sets and needs. When there were three of us, uh, Mike Stanton, my boss was in charge of kind of the overarching strategy and the implementation of that strategy. I largely did a lot of writing, um, a lot of long form pieces where I was, um, acting almost as a technical writer. And then, um, we had a th- the third intern did a lot of the design and a lot of the social media stuff, um, and that worked really well as a network. Um, and then when we when we lost the other intern, um, we kind of just 
absorbed her work into the two of us. Um, but as an overarching company, it's a virtual organization. We have staff in Kansas City, Arizona, California, and Colorado um, that I'm aware of. We may have staff in other um, states that I've just never met. Um, we're all working online and kind of building this solar power startup together. Um, as far as I know, they don't have a corporate office, but I've been only working there uh, during the pandemic. So I'm not sure there may have been one at one point. I know that my boss who works in Kansas City shares an office with a couple of um, with a couple of salespeople, but I'm not certain if that is um, just something that they got together and decided to do or if that is organizational. Um, and then we have a specific hierarchy. There is the CEO, the CFO, and then below him are people like my boss, Mike, and people who are in charge of sales. And then um, every all of those people have um, further uh, people below them kind of on a, on a flow chart. Um, and, but we have differentiated labor. For example, I don't make financial decisions for the company. Sales isn't out there developing marketing materials and management doesn't, uh, cold call potential customers. Um, but as an overarching organization, they make it very clear to us that our success, um, in our roles plays into the excess, er, plays into the success of each other's roles. If sales is doing a really good job of customer service and of sales, it makes marketing a lot easier. Um, and if we're doing our job, it makes financials uh, job a lot easier and it makes the CEO and the owner's job a lot easier um, when they are making kind of the top level decisions. What states are we going to try to move into next? Those kind of decisions. Um, so as, as kind of a recap, the comms department is very small. We use a network organizational structure. As an overarching organization, Zenternet uses a virtual organization structure with staff uh, spread out throughout the, the country. And then we have a specific hierarchy and differentiated labor as well. Finally, the prompt wanted us to analyze a favorite brand and the reputational factors mentioned in the book um, that uh, kind of play into them and what we most admire about them. And so I chose Patagonia. Now, it's not necessarily my favorite brand, but I do think that they do probably my favorite job of reputational management of any company out there. They're, if you're not familiar with their uh, business model, they basically make high quality outerwear that is supposed to last a lifetime um, to the point where if you get a tear or a snag or something on your five-year-old jacket, they'll mend it or replace it for you, no questions asked. Um, they do, so they, they've got that going on and then they also encourage people to send back clothes they're no longer using um, to kind of resell and recycle. Um, so they will take back your flannel that doesn't fit you anymore and they'll mend it and they'll make it as, uh, they'll, they'll make it as close to as good as new as possible and then sell it at a deep discount to try to, um, and a, keep those things out of landfills and B, um, limit the amount that of, uh, of stress that they're putting on their, uh, overarching kind of supply lines. Um, they're also big into social responsibility uh, in the form of 
environmental responsibility. It's a company first and foremost for outdoorsy people, even though um, I'll get into this later. It's kind of been co-opted by um, some other groups of people. But they're at their core, they really care about the environment. And it's um, it's cool because it's it feels authentic the way that they do it. I mean, they're not in your face about it. They're not, uh, but they're not, I guess, out there running ads and um, and being all over social media about like uh, how much we need to like save the sea turtles. They're out there donating money that would have otherwise been company profit to organizations that actually do work to help the environment and to help stop pollution, to help stop um, and fight climate change. And so it's kind of cool to see a company uh, take a social issue under its wing and be authentic about it and have it be something that people know about, but not in an in-your-face way. Um, and then their reputation for having a long-lasting uh, and quality product has helped them kind of penetrate into a bunch of different markets. Um, specifically, um, I wrote down in my outline, uh, quote, from finance bros to granola girls. They have, uh, they have used reputation management to be one of the premier clothing brands in the world. Um, and I think that that's super important is that they, um, because of the way that they've positioned themselves in the market through brand partnerships, and um, that kind of stuff is that you you will see a Patagonia on somebody climbing a mountain and you'll see a Patagonia on somebody walking uh, from lunch back to their office um, in New York City. Um, and I think that that is really kind of cool. I mean, frat bros are out here wearing it. Uh, guys working at Fortune 500 companies are out there wearing it. And so are people living out of their vans. Um, and I think that that is mostly due to the reputation surrounding their product and the reputation surrounding their social, or their corporate social responsibility. Um, I'd like to thank you now for listening to Nathan's MC782 podcast, which probably should have been given a better name, but we will, uh, we'll, we'll get through it together. Uh, have a great week. Hope all is well. Thank you.